Welcome to Real Life Real Equity Podcast with your hosts, Justin and Keisha Brooks. Hey, welcome to the show. Our goal is to share with you real life examples of entrepreneurs who are winning in both life and business. As real estate investors, our mission is to model, educate, and inspire you to act by sharing ease to implement tools, ideas, and information to add more worth to your net worth, more cash to your cash flow, helping you achieve your goals in less time. Welcome to the show. All right, all right, all right. We're super excited today. We have our first live guest in the room with us. Yes, yes, it's very exciting to have our guest with us. Let's go ahead and introduce our star guest today. He is a managing partner of MJP Property Group, a real estate investment company. He has been involved in single family, multifamily, and vacation rentals for over 14 years. He has experience in property valuation, acquisition, new construction, rehab projects, project leasing, property leasing, management, financing, and Fannie Mae approved buyers. With an investment portfolio of over 1,400 units, he is primarily focused on acquiring and repositioning multifamily communities. He has a degree in musical theater and spent several years as a professional performer in New York City and throughout the U.S., He partners with his wife on theatrical investments, and they are co-producers in the Broadway show Moulin Rouge and American Utopia. And she is a Tony-nominated performing arts professional with a wide variety of theatrical development and production experience. She has over 20 years of experience in live entertainment, including producing Broadway shows. Her Broadway producing debut was Reasons to be Pretty, with the Tony Drama Desk and Outer Critics Circle nominations for Best Play, and she is currently a co-producer on Moulin Rouge and American Utopia. She is invested in several shows, including the smash hit Hamilton and an international tour of Wicked. She is a graduate of Northwestern University, where she holds the honor of being named a Distinguished Alumnus in 2008. And she is currently the general manager of the Emerson Colonial Theater in Boston, Massachusetts, where she resides with her husband and their two daughters. Ladies and gentlemen, give a warm round of applause for our guests today, Matt Bacchini and Erica Lynn Schwartz. Welcome to the show. Thank hey, you. thanks for having us. Absolutely. So, man, this is it's really good. It's uh, been a long time coming. So talk to us a little bit about your background. Now, obviously, we know who you are. We've been to a lot of events together, but you all have some very interesting things that you all do. And I, I really like the model that you all, for, you all use for business. So talk to us a little bit about who you are and uh, where you come from. Sure, I'll start. So, you know, I'm a real estate uh, syndicator. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons why I'm here in, in Kansas City is I have some, some properties in, in this area. I've been doing this for, for several years, but originally, if you go way, 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 way back in my past, I actually used to be an actor. I was a nice. musical theater performer for many years, and then I, from there, transitioned sort of organically over time into digital marketing. So I had a, a long career in New York City uh, doing digital marketing. I, I lived in New York City for 25 years, about five years as an actor and about 20 years having a career in theater. During my time in New York, I met my lovely wife, Erica, who's here with me today. But I had been out of theater for a very long time, but ended up upping in her. and Yeah, and I'm just going to correct you because you said you had a career for 20 years in theater, but you met in digital media. You're right. You were five years Thank in you. theater. Yes. Five years in theater, <laughs> 20 years in digital media. Which yes. ironic, I ironic. Normally it's Matt correcting me, so that was fun for me. <laughs> <Right>. uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I was also in theater. Ironically, 
when I was an intern and Matt was an actor, we were at the same theater professionally, wow. but didn't meet. Oh. Didn't know each other. We, we probably were in a rehearsal room together. We were probably in the theater definitely at the same time. But that's kind of a fun, you know, life has a way of putting you together at the right time. Right. I had been working in theater. I also started as an actor, as most people in the industry do. And then I very quickly, actually during college, realized that there was a whole other world of entertainment that didn't revolve around you being uh, the spotlight. Right. And, and I loved the business side of it. I, I was thinking about marketing and ticket sales and why is this show important or who's the audience for this or how can we create new work was something that I was just always really interested in. So I went to, I went into the kind of administrative management side of, of theater and eventually went to New York and worked for several different Broadway producers and general managers and worked in really all different aspects of the business. And now we are in Boston where I am the general manager for what's called the Colonial Theater, which is a very historic theater uh, where many, many shows have had their pre-Broadway life start. Yes. And uh, I run the theater. I do the programming, which doesn't include just theater. It's concerts and comedy and speaker series. And so nice. I program that. In addition to that, I've been fundraising for shows commercially for over 15, maybe even 20 years now, raising money for shows. And that's something that Matt and I do together now. So wow. that's where we are now. That's, yeah. that's interesting. And Keisha, you have a unique background in Boston. Yes. Although you weren't born there. Yeah. You weren't born there. Oh, my God. So we go through this, like, every time. Okay, so I was born in Iowa City. That is because my mother was going to medical school there. So I was there. I don't even remember. I was there, like, a year. And then we moved to Boston because my dad is from Boston. I always got to give her So go Patriots. She's a Patriots fan from the Midwest. I'm just saying. There's some... Uh, I don't even remember. (laughs) I will say though, in in a like shout out to Boston, I guess like I obviously I'm a theater theater nerd, self proclaimed right Uh, entertainment kid. But when you go to Boston, the sports world there is absolutely infectious and absolutely just brings you in no matter what. So this past year, like I was, you know, we we go to Red Sox games now and Mm -hmm. go Pats and you know. I, I didn't like fall into the Bruins either, but but the rest of it, it's really, it's very infectious, and the community is just so inviting that way, and it's great. Yes. Yeah. We've been we've been in Boston for two years. Uh, the first year that I was there, you know, last summer, I went to Fenway with with Erica and, and my cousin, and I wore my Yankees hat. Oh, why would you do that? Well, well, just to, just, just to, because I was, well, just because I was a diehard, I used to be a diehard Yankee fan, and, you know, look, they, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't open my mouth, and then everyone was respectful, and I didn't, I didn't get beat up, although Erica thought I might, but the reason why I'm bringing it up is, so I just took my daughter, just turned five, to her first baseball game, and we took her to Fenway, and uh, I did not wear my Yankees hat, but more than that, I gave my daughter a Red Sox shirt. Nice. So, yeah. you know, about it being infectious, I think it, it, it may be. I don't know if I'll ever wear a Red Sox <laughs> shirt. Maybe, maybe not. But my daughter, it's fine. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting that you have this transition from theater and real estate, but you both talked about raising money. So how do you go from one extreme to the other? How do you incorporate that? Or is it an extreme? I mean... 
I'll start. I think the the best advice I have for anyone who has to or who's who finds himself in a position about raising money is you just have to start. And fortunately, one of my first jobs in New York was for these very successful Broadway producers and managers. And at the time, the woman I was working for directly was raising money for a show off Broadway. And she said to me, why don't you just try? There's no pressure here. If you can bring some investors in, you'll get you know, more comfortable the more you do it. You just have to do it. Right. And everyone says, start with who you know. You know, nine times out of ten, people are investing because of you, right? The relationship with you, that they believe enough in you or understand that you're passionate and have the experience and the knowledge about what you're selling, essentially. Right. So for me, I was 22 at the time. I also knew... At 22, someone wasn't just going to hand me a million dollars, so I kept my expectations reasonable. I think I've continued in that way very specifically. I, I get offered all the time to be a part of shows and fundraising for different opportunities in the theater, and I'm very, very selective because I think I take the responsibility very, very seriously. I also always put my own money into an investment because I feel like if I'm asking other people to be at risk, I also need to be out there on the limb with them. Yes. And so these are things that Matt and I have always talked about. And we now collectively, whether it be theater or real estate, we come up with very specific criteria that we share with our investors to explain why we think this is a better investment than other opportunities out there and why we're more comfortable with this investment. Of course, we always disclose the risk, you know, and everything, and we want to make sure that people are financially comfortable and that people understand the offering memorandums and all of the legal requirements to be a part of these investments. And surprisingly, many of the yeses have come from places I never thought they would as well. Yeah. So I think be respectful and just explain what you're doing and just got to keep going. So you brought up the term risk and a lot of times when you have people involved and you're building the team, there are some people who are there as an operator, they're there supporting the cause, and then you have others who are actually at risk. And so let's kind of just go a little bit deeper with that as far as building the team, each person's role. How do you create that in order to have a successful investment? Yeah, I think those are some good questions. You know, I think uh, a lot of it has to do, you know, when it comes to to building that team, it's really a lot about relationships, right? Mm -hmm. So when I first wanted to coming to the Kansas City market, you know, I had met Justin maybe a year prior. He's one of the first guys I reached out to him. You know, I've gotten to know him and like him and trust him and, and he made some very warm introductions for me to, to other people that he trusted and that he knew in this particular marketplace. Uh, you know, when it comes to the real estate world, we could say the same thing when it comes to the theatrical things, you know, when when we're getting involved, you know, Erica gets approached, like she said, all the time about all these theatrical uh, opportunities to raise money, to get involved. And sometimes we just invest our, our own capital, which which we'll do on the real estate side as well. I mean, right, I'm, right. I'm, I have all these doors, you know, that I'm invested in, but 75% of them were passively invested in. Only 25% of those are we like actively right, managing, right, things right. like that. Through those relationships that Erica has, she's, she's known the people in the business for so long that we only get involved in specific projects that are run by specific people that we really know, that we like, that we trust. And that reduces the risk. There's still risk inherent in any kind of investment. Right. 
But if you're working with the right people, and you know, that just takes time, I think, takes time being in a market. It took me, you know, now I've been in Kansas City for like three years. Now I know the people, I know the players, I know who I can trust and who I can't. And, you know, Erica's been in, in the theatrical... Yeah. I mean, I was in the theatrical world, but on the producing side, Erica's been doing this for 20-some-odd years. Yeah, I think the number one thing I've always kind of said to myself is no one can take your experience away from you. Mm. So yeah. I always just kind of rest very comfortably on what I know because of all that I've been a part of. And I think the same is true. So when you're you're evaluating the team, you're looking at their experience. Now, of course, everybody has hits and misses, right? right. So, so I think, and almost, you know, I'm whenever I'm presenting an opportunity to people, I'm always first like, please don't give me this money if, please don't give me this money if. And Matt's even said to me like, honey, like they know that this is high risk. You know? <laughs> Get it? And, and I just I you know I want to make sure I'm very comfortable and very clear saying. Uh, these are the reasons that I think these are the reasons that I believe in this but do not give me this money unless you know unless you you also believe in this team or you feel that this show is something you're passionate about or you know that you may lose it you know I just want to make sure that holistically you can have the best and we have we've invested in shows raised money for shows that sometimes that have lost everything on the converse we've been parts of shows that have been very successful and especially as of late, our track record has completely improved over time because our experience has improved over time. Right. Our right. understanding of evaluating things has improved over time. Our our network has improved, right? So like with everything, you gain knowledge every time you do it. And I think therefore we now find ourselves, as Matt said, being very specific and very, um, very conservative and very excited, though, by the relationships that we have that we continue to mine. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things about Erica and I is we've gotten to a point in our financial lives, if you will, where, you know, we've got a good amount of passive income coming in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I spend my time full-time doing the real estate, but Erica also has a W-2 job working at a theater. So we don't have to do a real estate deal. We don't have to do a, uh, you know, produce a show to pay our bills, mm-hmm. to feed ourselves and mm-hmm. feed our kids right. and things right. like that. So we can be very selective about what we do. Definitely risk involved, but right, something right. that we feel comfortable yeah. about. Yeah. There's a power behind that too. Being able to really select what it is that you want to invest in, being able to really have a high credit. You said a couple of things that I think are really key to the conversation. For anybody who's looking to raise capital one, just starting is a huge piece of advice that a lot of people will kind of overlook. Just getting started is huge, one, okay? And then you mentioned having the responsibility of capital received. I wanted to dive into that really briefly because a lot of connotations behind OPM, other people's money, is mm-hmm. let's lose theirs, not ours. Yeah. yeah. That has been one of the things that even I, as a beginning real estate investor, have been guilty of. Let's lose theirs, not mine. And typically, we use OPM when it's regarded as other people's money, when it's the bank. When you take somebody's $50,000, $100,000, $25,000 check and you're looking them in the eyes, you can see their kids, you can see their wife, you can see their spouse, that's a different level of OPM. Yes. So talk to us a little bit about like that feeling behind that. And then go into, you said you took an L. You took losses before. Talk to us about that because that's something that a lot of people won't talk about. 
how that conversation goes, you know? How does that feel? What's behind it, you know? Sure. I mean, let I'm, me let me let me go. start off. Sure. Um, with the, and and you, I'll let you talk about the losses. Sure. This, I love that. Thank you. It's my idea. Because the, the the OPM, the other people's money, that's that is something that at least for me is very visceral and very, you know, when we do, you know, when we're raising money for these things. You know, 99% of the time, it's under the 506B right? yeah. regulations, yeah. which means we have to have a pre-existing substantive relationship with the people. Right. Most of the money that I raise is from people that I've known for years. Yeah. Now, they may be not, not really family. I would say friends and family. It's not really family. It's, it's more friends, and it's a lot of business colleagues. You know, having worked in New York City for such a long time, being in the advertising world, right? I, I just I met a lot of different people, and just mm-hmm. socially, we've met a lot of people, mm-hmm. and so a lot of these people we've we've known and we have relationships with for a very very long time. So for me to take their money and, and possibly lose it. Yeah. Is, is a huge, huge responsibility. And, and like Erica was saying, one of the things that we do, we're always putting our own money in the deal. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't look at this specifically, you know, let me talk about it just specifically from a real estate angle. I don't look at it as, oh, I need to go raise a bunch of like other people's capital and we'll buy this deal and I'll get some sort of fee off of it. The way that I'm approaching it is, I wanted. I was doing the single family, and then I started getting into duplexes, and I wanted to go bigger. And the fact is, I think you can de-risk the investment by going larger, by having that scale for a number of different reasons, which mm-hmm. we could go into. But for me, I didn't have the two, three, four million dollars of equity that I needed to go ahead and get that. Yeah. Go ahead and get that loan and, and, and acquire that property. Right. So what I needed to do was find other like-minded investors who also were thinking the same way, and we could pool our money together. You yeah. know, I'm yeah. putting in at least the minimum. Most of the times, double the minimum. Mm-hmm. So you know, where I tell people, look, the minimum on this deal, you know, maybe let's say fifty thousand. I'm putting a hundred thousand dollars of my own money in that right. deal. Yeah. Right. Because I feel that strongly about the deal, and I want to make it happen. Yeah. In a lot of cases, I would even put in more capital if I had it, but I only have you know a certain amount of liquidity to go around. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Talk to the people who are just kind of getting started in investing, who might not have all the capital. How would you address those kinds of people? Or even if they have the capital but no experience, or the experience but no capital. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah, I think it's uh, they're they're sort of two things to that so number one is is partnering right Um, partnering with people who you know if you don't have the experience partner with someone who has experience or if you don't or if you have experience but you're low on capital you might be able to partner with somebody who has I mean that's what I do right I don't have all the capital so I'm just partnering with a bunch of people who have capital you know if you don't have capital then I think there's another kind of equity that you could put into a deal which is that sweat equity Right. Yeah. Yep. So yep. you know you're you're there. You're the boots on the ground, or you're you know doing a lot of the legwork. The way that I structure my things are very conservative and very investor friendly. So I get co- compensated if if the deal performs. Mm-hmm. But if the deal performs, I get you know there's fees associated with that for all the time and effort that I put in, all of my sweat equity. Right. Right. Uh, right. But you could structure a deal in in a way where you know. You you're getting you know 
from that sweat equity instead of putting any capital in. Maybe you're, you know you're just getting it off the sweat equity. It 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 is it does make it difficult to raise money though, because one of the first questions I get from any investor is. How much of your own money are you putting in the deal? Mm-hmm. 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 So the, a way around that might be that you partner with somebody. Let's say Justin and I are looking at a deal and I'm low on cash and Justin has a bunch of cash. We might partner together on a deal and they might say, well, how much money are you putting in the deal? And I can say, well, the general partners, Justin and I combined are putting in X amount of money. Right. So we're showing that we're putting some skin in the game. But you know, maybe Justin's picking up a little more from the capital side, but I'm maybe doing a lot more of the legwork. Right. And what you know, whatever agreement Justin and I have together, where we both feel is an equitable split, is important. There's there's something to that, and I and I want to before we we skip over to the to the syndication losses and and uh, Erica, you go into that. I, I want to make sure that we hit on the idea behind the strategy. It's easy to talk strategy. It's hard to talk resourcefulness. And what you just mentioned was resourcefulness all day long. We always hear, I don't have enough money, I don't have experience, I don't know how to do this. But you just gave at least three examples of how you could get started with no money. And for all those people who have no idea what they're doing, go get the experience. Yes. If you don't have the money, get the experience. If you don't have the, the time and you have the money, then get somebody who has the experience but you don't have the time. You know, you have to figure out how to be resourceful and that's what you were talking about. What we're going to talk about is actually one of the last talked about topics in the world of syndication. And it's one that we talked about with one of our previous guests, Michael yes. Zuber what he thought was going to be the new crisis for real estate investors. So if you didn't catch that, go listen to it. But talk about the losses. Let's talk about some of the L's in, in, in syndication. Sure. Yeah, this is a good part. I, yes, <laughs> it's a great part. I, I, I do just want to say, though, one, one thing that's really important in what we're talking about and how it does uh, relate to losses as well. Actually, there's two things. What what's one thousand dollars to somebody may be a million dollars to somebody else, or yes. what's ten thousand dollars to somebody may be ten bucks to somebody else. So I think yeah, it's all relative. Yeah. And I think so, how yeah. you talk about the value of how much money you're putting in a deal, right? I was twenty two when I started raising money for Broadway shows. I was making probably less than thirty thousand dollars living in New York City. I definitely was living in a one bedroom with a friend from college that we shared. And the concept of other people's money, I would sit in weekly meetings where they would talk about, you know, do we put a full page ad in the New York Times? Do we do a radio, you know, flight? Do we do we do a bunch of commercials? Do we shoot a new commercial? And I'm sitting there the whole time going, this is people's money. This yeah. is whether or not you make a distribution back to the investors or do you invest further in the product, in the brand, in hopes of a greater return later. And yeah. those are the very, very quintessential conversations of you have to realize that there are people making decisions for your money. So that's my second point is make sure the person you're investing with is as close as possible, if not the decider, right? So Mm. who are the general partners is a huge, huge thing of value that I always say. Because a lot of times people say to me like, oh, yeah, my uncle produces shows on Broadway. And I'll be like, really? What's your uncle's name? They'll be like, oh, blah, blah, blah. And I'll be like, oh, does he, is he a full-time producer and they'll be like oh no he's like a dentist in new jersey and i'm like oh so he's a he's an investor and that's great or he's a co-producer and that's great but what you want to make sure is when you're putting your money into an investment 
who is the person that you're putting your money in with and what is their relationship if they're not the general partner then in fact and what is their relationship to the general partner and that goes for real estate as well because there are people out there who are get a gp share they've raised capital for a deal but they're not really in control of the deal Yeah. yeah because at the end of the day it's only one person who ultimately holds the checkbook and decides whether or not to invest and spend and have expenses or is keeping expenses down and distributing or whatever this scenario may be. So that's just a, a quick point on that. But if you all have didn't catch it, it's, that's gold. Like those two pieces of advice will save somebody a lot of heartache and money. I know personally of people who have syndicated, sub-syndicated, become LPs in deals, GPs in deals, but they weren't close to the source of the deal. If you're not closest to the money and you're a GP or even better or worse, actually, an LP right. with <laughs> that you're sub-syndicating as an LP, that's terrible. Yeah. I'm not going to go into the weeds of what that actually would mean, but, I mean, that's... It's like going in blind. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. the way I look at you it. Just, you have to really, really evaluate the experience and the expertise and also the fortitude and the patience of the person who is making those decisions mm-hmm. ultimately yeah. because that's the person who is playing or making great decisions with your money and the money that you're going and getting for them. And you could be in a situation where who that person is, you've known for years and you feel very comfortable with them. And you're like, yeah, I'm raising money for this. This is the GP. You know, I'm, this is the person who's got the checkbook control, as you were saying, if you have complete faith in them. But as an investor, you just want to make sure you understand where that is and and what that situation is. It's not necessarily a bad thing. You just want to be cognizant of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, and, and then the other thing is money is relative to the person. That is, um, there's so many levels to that. If you're just getting started and a thousand means a lot to you, it might not mean anything to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Where 50,000 is something to you, it might not mean anything to somebody else. You yeah. know, at one point, a thousand dollars would have hit us in the face yeah. and mm-hmm. given, given us a bloody nose. Now, a thousand dollars is not the thing that will break us. You know, a hundred thousand would break us right now, yeah. but you know, a hundred thousand might not break someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. You know, right. It's, it's so it's all relative. Yeah. Back to the lows. Yeah. Let's, let's <laughs> talk, let's talk about the I just thought I'd give you really good highs. Yeah, so, that was no. Good. Um, so it, it's actually not so hard to talk about because I think what we were talking about earlier. I feel very good about how I prep my investors from conversation number one. So because the conversation started with, you have to be comfortable losing this money. You know, I only want to take this money if you understand the risk here. It was fine. The first show I produced on Broadway lost everything, Mm. um, which was very hard for me. I was 27 or 28 years old at the time. It was a play I loved. It was a playwright who had not been on Broadway but was very celebrated in the theater community. The actors who were in it have gone on to have incredible careers. And at the time, they were off-Broadway, you know, I don't want to say unknown. They were working actors and so talented people and now are major stars. So for all of these reasons, I and several others were like, this play needs to move to Broadway. And we did. We moved it to Broadway and it was up for the Tony Award and it was this very exciting time and we knew if we won the Tony Award it could become financially successful but it was always kind of like the little engine that could and it's this off-Broadway play with with no stars and you know just you know whatever 
And we didn't win the Tony. There was a star play starring James Gandolfini from The Sopranos. The Sopranos had just wrapped. It was the first thing James Gandolfini did after um, The Sopranos. And of course, and it was funny, and that was a great play as well. And that was the play that was more popular and and won the Tony Award. Rightfully so. I'm not saying it didn't deserve it. It was a great, funny show. We lost. I was sitting at the Tony Awards with my sister and my producing partner at the time. This was before Matt. And I was okay... And I did get emotional because of two reasons when we lost. Number one, I knew that that meant that we were going to have to close the show. Mm-hmm. And I love the show so much. But we knew financially it was like, we are done. We can't keep investing in here. It would be irresponsible, yeah. right? right? Financially, it'd be ir- we need to cut our losses and be done. Number two, my friends at the time started texting me. And they were saying, you, you produced your first show on Broadway. We're so proud of you. And that was the moment where it really hit me that... Yeah. I was emotional because I had done it, right? Start wow. somewhere, you got to yeah. start somewhere. But I felt bad. Now, no one ever said anything to me about the loss in a negative way. No one was ever um, angry with me. Everyone knew what they were doing. They understood the risk. I never heard once from any of my investors anything other than we were, thro- we were so thrilled to be part of this. Look at what you did. Look at what this play accomplished. Wow. Which I think, again, it's all in how you approach it. Now, that being said, since then, the majority of our investments on the theatrical side and on the real estate side, but on the theatrical side, have been successful. So, in a sense, you know, this is such like a trite thing to say, but I had to have failure to get success, right? It reevaluated a lot for me. Who were my partners? How close I was to the general partner? Just the, I love plays, and I loved taking an unknown play and with, you know, with not star actors and taking it to Broadway and, you know, being the, the little engine that could, I don't know that I would do that again so quickly right then, right. especially. I right. knew that the next thing that I wanted to raise money for probably had to be different. Yeah. Again, you can continue on. The best thing, obviously, for any investment is to have a successful show because then your investors are going to be happy or have a successful investment. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and then they might take even more risk with you. You know, we're part of a show that's been very successful, and we say with 100% of our heart, we will follow this producer anywhere because she let us be a part of this show. It's been very successful. She's developing new shows. We are very close with her. We adore her, and we will support her. Whether or not those subsequent shows are as successful as this one, it doesn't matter. We're part of one that's successful, and that's also part of, and I think we feel this way about real estate too, you want to reinvest. Mm -hmm. To keep the industry going, you have to keep finding new things. Mm -hmm. Not all new things are going to be successful right away. That's good. That's good. No, there was something that you really said that stood out, and that was how you prep your investors from the start. And I think that is huge, even... When you're starting in something new, you know, we always have conversations where people are always approaching us with new ideas, new things that are hitting the market. And I'm always curious to know, like, okay, so what is this, you know? And they, some of them dive right in and tell you, right, well, this is what it is. I love it. You should get on board. I don't want to jump into something that I'm not quite sure about. There's always this, you know, um, instant gratification with this society. So prepping the investor, I think that's key. What are some key points if someone is trying to get someone involved in an investment opportunity? Give us like some highlights, maybe three key points on how they can do that as far as prepping their investor. Read the deal. I know that sounds so basic and so stupid. 
you would be. <laughs> I have gone back to general partners many times and said, hey, can you explain this to me? And they're like, oh, well, how did you know about that? And I'm like, because it's in the offering memorandum. And they're like, right, you read it. And I'm like, of course I read it. And I dissected it. It shocks me how many people either don't read them or, or skim it or whatever. And I'm not judging that. I'm just saying... You know, Matt and I have this joke that whenever we sign something, like when we're closing on, the, on a real estate deal or something, whenever we are sitting with a notary, I'm always like, sorry, sorry, my husband says I have to read everything before I sign my name to it. And I'm like <laughs> apologizing because there's like a stack of papers right. and everybody just wants to go home, right? right. But but I, I read it. Just read it and yeah. ask questions. I think yeah. those are the two biggest things I can say understand the deal it's your money and and that goes for everything i I recently you know eric and i acquired a a six unit here in in kansas city and we're working with a local bank and um they sent us over their boilerplate document and i read it and it was it was very onerous i mean it just it i i couldn't i didn't feel comfortable signing it at all yeah but i called um the president of the bank that i've been working with and explained to him, you know, where I was. And he was, he actually was like, you know, let me take a look at this because I don't think our document says that. I'm like, oh, it does. He's like, because, you know, it's the boilerplate. I haven't read it and you know, I've been with the bank for 30 years or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. And then he read it and he got back to me. He's like, yeah, you're right. It does say that. And I was like, well, I don't feel comfortable with that. And then he went to the attorneys and they actually changed it. But he said to me, he's like, Matt, I'm surprised that nobody has said anything about this because he's like me if i was the person signing you know if i wasn't representing the bank and i was signing this i wouldn't sign it either i mean it was really onerous and so that just goes to show like so many people in business signing you know debt documents Mm -hmm. don't read everything well and also Mm -hmm. don't accept it if you don't like it or don't Mm. do it if you don't like i mean trust your gut right but you have to understand, I mean, one of my favorite investors is one of my friends from college, of, of all things. And, you know, again, you don't know how people have access to capital or whatnot, but he works in finance. He's one of those finance people who loves spreadsheets. Like, he is a math, you know, mathematician whiz. <laughs> and he likes theater. He's not like some big theater person. But he started asking me about the business of Broadway when I was working for these Broadway producers. And so I started showing him that there's these weekly grosses that get reported and how you can start to predict when a show might be closing or in trouble and whatnot. And so he started creating his own spreadsheets backing into Broadway wow. grosses, which it, which for me was awesome to watch. And so I said, I'm going to be raising for a show. And so, of course, he read the documents and he backed into a whole spreadsheet and said, okay, well, if ticket sales were this, then we'd make the money. This is now what Matt does all the time. And it's like, I love that I'm here Matt because, you know, I'm like, my husband's now running these financial schematics for all the Broadway shows we're involved in. But, but my friend was doing it all the time. And it was such a great thing because he kept me on my toes. He yeah. would ask me questions. Yeah. I want to put a little disclaimer out there. You said something, if you don't like the document, don't sign it. That is a hard pill to swallow. And when you're in the heat of a deal, you know how hard it is to have that discipline. I can only imagine when you read that contract to the bank and you really wanted this six unit apartment, and you're reading the contract like, oh God, I really want this. But I'm not signing this. Yeah. And I hope that this works because I'm not shopping another bank. And if every bank is like, and it's, you just, it's, it starts to play in your mind. I've done the exact same thing. You also still need to read them because your, your story with the bank applies as well. 
sometimes they change mm-hmm. yeah. and you don't want to take for granted oh yeah. i assumed this is the standard 50 50 post recruitment or whatever because sometimes they may have a sliding scale mm-hmm. sometimes there may be you know off the top things that happen post you know there are very different ways Every deal can be unique. Yeah. Yeah. But also be okay with walking away if yeah. it doesn't work out. Yeah. Like because to me, you just get closer to the one that does work out. For the investments we've been comfortable for, they've miraculously they come together because you believe in it so much and the team is so solid and everything that you can get behind mm-hmm. what is there. Yeah. Right? I think even this most recent one that we're involved in, which is uh, Moulin Rouge, at the beginning I loved it so much. And, we, you know, like we said, we pick one or two real estate and or theater things a year at most, yeah. right? And we really try and be conservative. And I said, this is one that I really think we should get behind. So at first, we were just going to put some money into it. Then I talked to a few of my past investors, and I said, you know, this is a big one. I don't know. Let's see. But the producing team approached me and said, well, we want you to be a part of it. See what you can do. Go yeah. for what you think you can go for. And I just kept going. And I think the point is that when you find something that you're passionate about and you believe in the team and the experience is there, other people get attracted to that. It should be, I'm not saying it should be easy, but it should have a flow to it as opposed to if you're really trying to force it, that's probably a sign that you should walk away. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I want, I want to wrap up with, with kind of talking about this last thing you, you kept saying. This is actually what you said is close to my heart, and I'm sure it's close to both of ours. You said reinvest in the industry. That's a powerful statement to make. And when you love the industry, when you love the being involved in the industry, you want to keep the industry alive. Now, obviously, real estate will stay alive no matter what I do, Right. no matter what you do, Matt. But no matter what you do, Erica, no matter what we do, in it, Real estate will stay alive, but to feel like you have a part of that, and I know without a shadow of a doubt, I will never stop loving real estate. When you love something so much, you want to see that industry succeed. And yeah. you said reinvesting in theater, reinvesting in real estate. That's a that's a theme that I keep hearing. So wrap up thoughts behind that. Well, the only thought that comes to my mind sort of twofold number one just having that background in theater and just being a big fan of theater to to be able to help producers create new work yeah it is is rewarding but when it when it comes to the real estate i'm passionate about improving people's lives Mm. is really what it comes down to so what what i traditionally do in in when it comes to real estate is investing in in places that have been neglected and need some work done on them but also, you know, I've gotten involved recently with a charity in Boston that focuses on real estate mm-hmm. and providing housing for very, very low income people. Wow. And that's another way that I feel that I'm helping sort of the real estate industry, but also helping people in general, because that's sort of my MO is just trying to improve people's lives in, yeah. in one yeah. way or another. When it comes to my investors, I'm hoping to improve their lives by giving them passive income. But for, you know, the residents of the, the properties that we're managing, we're, we try to, you know, make the properties nice and, and livable and affordable right. and, you know, have a nice quality place to live. Right. I think one thing I just want to say on that too is I always joke about like the 12-year-old girl who was watching the Tony Awards and what she if she knew what I was actually doing now, number one, she'd be like, sign me up. But on the other hand, and it's still exciting, the little things that we do are actually the things that make the huge difference. So 
I spend a lot of times, for example, in security meetings or talking about what we at our company call um, guest experience, right? Like how is the audience going to be impacted by this? So Matt as well, similarly, we talk a lot about the residents. Matt has spent, you know, months on the phone talking to people about pouring concrete for sidewalks. But it makes a difference if the place you've been living at for years has nice sidewalks and nice fences and things that you don't think necessarily affect your daily life. But when you come home to a place that's been improved and someone showing that they care and they're making it better, it has a huge difference for... For me in the, in the theater, the things that we do to improve people's experience that they may or may not know about that mm. we're invest, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about the number of toilets in the theater and how can we improve bathroom lines. If you yeah. don't have to spend time standing online to use the toilet and you can spend more time with the people you're there to enjoy the show with, right. that makes your experience better. Wow. I totally agree with that. Building the experience is huge for me also and what I do. And so I get the fulfillment of my clients always saying oh i love that thank you so much that made it so much easier for me that little thing it's like i'm gonna repeat that because you made my day knowing that i did something correctly just to make you feel more comfortable yeah all right so matt eric give us a way to get in contact with you all talk about some of the cool you said you just have a you have a broadway play that's coming up right yeah yeah we have a moulin rouge that's uh, coming to broadway and then we also have another show coming to broadway in the fall uh called david burns american utopia which is david Byrne from talking heads has a new show so uh yeah so we have two shows this year that we're really proud of and really excited for nice so how do they get a hold of you yeah you can reach uh me this is matt and my email is matt m-a-t-t at mjppg.com. I also have a website. It's mjppg.com, so you can check that out. Yep, and uh, uh, my website is avalonroad.net. Fun story, Avalon Road is the street that my mom grew up on, and it was my grandmother who introduced my mom to theater, and my mom then passed it on to me. Oh, wow. So uh, my producing company is called Avalon Road, and the website is avalonroad.net, and you can reach me through the website. All right, so you heard them, mjppg.com and avalonroad.net. If you want to learn more about what they're doing, their shows, their real estate stuff, everything that you want to know, Matt and Erica, uh, reach out to them there. Uh, we'd really appreciate you uh, stopping by. Yes, Our first fun. live guest. It was fun. It was very fun. Face to face. Face to face. Well, it was awesome, and thanks for having us here. Yeah. It was really great to be with yeah, you guys. Absolutely. absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Real Life Real Equity Podcast. If you would like to ask the hosts a question or be exposed to our podcast audience, visit our website at realliferealequity.com and submit a request. Again, that's realliferealequity.com. Or send us an email at info at realliferealequity.com. Again, that's info at realliferealequity.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week right here on Real Life Real Equity Podcast.